You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. that God is always watching us. How comforting it is to know that God is always looking out towards you. He's always looking favorably towards you. He's always looking at you with love, with grace, with mercy. How comfortable it is to know that He's preserving you and He's governing you. He's he's on the throne. He always works in our lives constantly. That traffic jam you're into may be protecting you from an accident that's happening way down the road that you might be involved in. A new dad holds his son in his arms, being gentle with him. A dad of a young boy protects his son from going into the street where a car is rushing by. A father of a grown man looks out for his son by leaving an inheritance for him. Well, today, Pastor Dave talks about God being a loving and caring father. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 5 as he begins his message, The Claims of Jesus Equal with God. we're going to be looking and we're going to be reading in John 5 as Jesus now responds to the religious box. He responds to the religious box by making three significant claims about who he is. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 5, specifically through verses 16 through 23. 16 through 23. So if you can find the Gospel of John, turn to chapter 5. You're looking at verses 16 through 23. Let me read aloud if you'd like to follow along silently, please. John chapter 5, verse 16. For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So, you ask anyone everywhere, no matter where you go, it seems like everybody, every place has an opinion about who Jesus is. Many see him as a compassionate man. Some call him a wise teacher. Others regard regard him as a great prophet. Several years ago, 
C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, wrote these words concerning the identity of Jesus. Liar, lunatic, or son of God. Quote, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish things that people often say about him, Jesus. Things like, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would be not a great teacher. He would indeed be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg. Or else, he would be the devil from hell. You make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, is the Son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut Jesus up as a poor fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher, unquote. Interesting words. Very interesting words from C.S. Lewis. Let's get real for a moment. If I stood up here today and I declared to you that I was the Son of God, and I declared to you that I was equal to the Father and fully God. You probably would think, if you don't already, that I'm a lunatic. You would probably think that I've lost my marbles somehow. I see the smirks on some of your faces. You think that now. You think that regardless, don't you? That's okay. I love you anyhow. Because I am kind of goofy sometimes. And rightly so. You should think that if I ever said those kind of things. In fact, you should stone me, drag me out behind your car for about a half mile. Well, what about Jesus? What did Jesus say about himself? We're talking about Jesus' words. We're not talking about what the disciples thought about him. We're not thought, thinking about what the Pharisees thought about him. We're saying, what, what did Jesus say about himself? And that's what's in our scriptures. And we examine these scriptures as Jesus now comes back against the religious box. You remember the religious box? When Jesus said these things, was he lying? Was he a lunatic? If he is neither of these, then he must be the only other option. Lord of all. Lord of lords and king of kings. We studied as Jesus deliberately challenged the legalistic traditions of the Jewish religious leaders by healing the lame man on the Sabbath. The religious leaders, if you remember, had taken the Sabbath day and they made it by their man-made laws and regulations, this beautiful gift that God gave us for rest, they made it into a prison with nothing but laws and regulations and all sorts of things. Man-made traditions, man-made laws. And remember, we said that there was this Mishnah, and the Mishnah was the Jewish interpretation by the Pharisees of what the commandments said, that according to the Sabbath, there was no less than 23 chapters that told you what you could not do on the Sabbath. 23, including wearing your wooden leg or your wooden teeth. 23 chapters, 23 chapters to interpret these words. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. 23 chapters. So the religious leaders now completely disregard the miracle of the main lame man walking. 38 years, this guy's been lying by the pool of Bethesda. 
38 years. Jesus comes and he's healed in an instance and all they're concerned about is, well, he broke the Sabbath law. That's the religious box. Remember, we spoke about that. And so they decide something else. Well, you know, he broke our law. Let's uh, kill him. Look at verse 16. For this reason, because he broke the Sabbath law, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. The heck with the healing. The heck with what happened to the lame man. It's Jesus who's at fault here because he did it on the Sabbath. Religious leaders persecute him, and they want to kill him. So instead of Jesus quietly slipping away, as he has in the past, what does Jesus do? Jesus throws gasoline on the fire. He throws gasoline on the fire. Look at verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. I would have loved to see in their faces when Jesus said this. My father has been working till now, and I am working. Jesus now gives us this incredible, most insightful, most important defense of why he could take the religious box and knock it down. He could take the religious box and just flatten it. He wasn't bound by the religious box, and he's going to tell us why. Why could he do the things he do? Why? Because he declares himself to be equal with God. He declares this point blank. Instead of denying the accusations, he didn't deny the accusation. He endorsed it. Jesus responds by making this claim about himself. But when you look at this claim with human eyes, as the Pharisees were looking at it, when you look at this claim with human eyes, as the Pharisees were looking at it, when you look through the religious box, this man's a lunatic. This man's a liar. In fact, we're going to come to scriptures later on where they even call him Beelzebub's. They even call him, he's possessed by the devil for saying these things. Jesus didn't try to explain away what he did. He did it. He didn't try to explain away. He boldly said that the religious leaders, hey, my father's working here. Therefore, the son of man must work here. The son of God must work here. My father is working until now. And I love that. Working until now. My father is working all the time. It gives me the greatest pleasure and the greatest comfort during this most difficult time that my wife and I are going through to know that God is always at work, that God is always working. He never takes a day off. Imagine if he did. Imagine if God took a day off. Where would we be? What would happen? In fact, he doesn't even sleep, according to Psalm 121, 3 and 4. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. God is constantly awake. Listen to what one commentator said, quote, Though he, God, rested from creating, he never ceased from preserving and governing that which we had formed. For nothing can exist or continue to exist without the continual energy of God, unquote. I love that. How comforting it is to know that God is always watching us. How comforting it is to know that God is always looking out towards you. He's always looking favorably towards you. He's always looking at you with love, with grace, with mercy. How comfortable it is to know that he's preserving you, that he's governing you. He's, he's on the throne. He always works in our lives constantly. That traffic jam you're into may be protecting you from an accident that's happening way down the road that you might be involved in. 
All these things, God is at work mightily at your lives. He's working even now as you sit before him. He's working right now in your lives to things that you might not even discover until next week or next month or whatever. He's working mightily in your lives. He works all things together for good for those that love him or are the called according to his purpose. God is working mightily in your lives, even today, even right now. And for those of you who are hurting, trust me on this, folks. From those of you who are hurting, God is listening to your cries. He hears your pleas. He knows your sorrow. He sees your affliction, and he wants to be there for you. I will never leave nor forsake you. He is always with you in the midst of the storm. He's there right beside you. Always working. How blessed it is to know that at no time is the throne ever vacant. No time is the throne. And well, you know, I've been on here for six hours. I'm going to take a break. Earth, good luck. Praise God, that doesn't happen. He never leaves the throne. Never leaves the throne. You see, this drove the religious leaders nuts. This drove them nuts. By using the term father, Jesus takes the issue to a higher level. He takes the issue to a much higher level than the Sabbath day. Oh, no. He pushes the envelope, gang. He pushes the envelope. Namely, he's saying, I have authority because I am the son of God. If God is his father, then Jesus is the son. The religious leaders are recognizing that immediately because the son of God is a name for the Messiah. The son of God is a name for the Messiah. In verse 18, we see how this infuriates the religious leaders. They immediately are just confused, and look what they say. Therefore, why? Because Jesus worked on the Sabbath, and Jesus said, My Father is working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. That's killing. How dare him say that? Let's kill him. And why did they want to kill him? Why would they want to kill him? Because to make yourself equal with God is blasphemy. It's blasphemy, and blasphemy carried the penalty of death. They thought anybody who would say this is filled with arrogance. Can't be saying this. But the next words that Jesus speaks reveal his spirit. Reveal how spiritual he just is. Let's read verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, now some of you who read the old King James, you'll get a verily, verily there. You know, it simply means pay attention. Pay attention, verily, verily. This is important. Pay attention. I used to tell you about the old science teacher I had, old biology teacher. Every time we're taking notes and he wanted our attention, he would say, Now hold on tight, folks. We're going around the corner. Jesus saying to them, hold on tight, gang, we're going around the corner. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does in like manner. The Son can do nothing of himself. In other words, Jesus never takes the initiative. Why? Because it's the Father that initiates. The Father sends. The Father commands. The Father grants authority. And what does Jesus do as the Son? He responds to the Father in submission, in obedience. He performs what God has asked him to do, and he receives the authority that God has given him, and he walks in that authority. Jesus only does what the Father does, only says what the Father says. For whatever the Father does, Jesus does in like manner. See, this relationship between Father, Son, the Father, 
the son is not that of master and slave. No, no, no. It's not even that of an employee-employer. It's a loving, cherishing relationship between a father and a son who are united in love. A father and a son who are united in love. When Jesus came to earth as a man, he submitted all things to the father. In fact, there's a Hebrew scripture in chapter 10, verse 9. We've got to read 8 and 9. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burn offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had any pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Jesus came to do the will of God. He came specifically to do God's will. And when was this will thought of? When was this will of the Father? When did they come up with this idea? A lot of people think, well, after Adam sinned, God said, Oy vey, what do I do now? That's not what happened. That's not what happened. Because Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.20, He, Jesus indeed, was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And in Revelation 13, verse 8, all who dwell on earth will worship him, Jesus, whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, who was slain before the foundations of the world. So this wasn't the second choice. This was the original plan. This was plan A. This was plan A but it was still an act of obedience. It was a complete act of submission and obedience because Jesus did it at the acceptable appointed time. It was the acceptable appointed time. And we've been set apart with God. We've been sanctified. Our sanctification is founded on the will of Christ, not our own will. I don't sanctify myself. That's the religious box. I'll never do anything to get holy. I'll never be worthy. I'll never be good enough. But Christ is, and in Christ is where I hope. My sanctification is founded on the offering of Jesus, not on something that I can muster up. I can kill all the boats, ghouls, and cats, and dogs I want. If it's not to Jesus, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. I love these words. In the Hebrews, it says, once and for all. These are important words. These really are important words, and they need to sink in to all of us. The writer of Hebrews repeated this theme over and over and over, once and for all. What does that mean? That means it's settled. It is settled forever, once and for all. And what we need to do is we need to settle it in our hearts. We need to settle it, believe it, and move on. Stop trying to figure it out. Believe it, settle it, and move on. That's what we're called to do. We're called to do that. Jesus veiled his glory willingly and laid aside his ability to exercise his divine attributes. When Satan tempted him in the wilderness, Satan wanted him to use his divine powers. Jesus refused to act on his own. Why? Because he was totally dependent on the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love this. Why? Because I see a picture of our relationship to Jesus. I see a picture of our relationship with Jesus. Just like, like Jesus' relation to God. Let me clarify that. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus initiates. Jesus sends the message to his word. Jesus commands us. And according to Matthew 28, he gives us Authority. 
So we, in turn, are subject to him. Therefore, we submit to him and we respond to his commandments by obeying and performing that which is done in our lives. That's the relationship we have. I'm only doing what Jesus is doing, and I'm only saying what Jesus is saying. My life and his are so intertwined. We are one. When you look at it in plain English here, what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, he's basically saying, hey, guys, if you really want to place the blame on somebody, try the Father. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. He's God. I'm just doing what he's doing. It's not my fault. And healing the man on the Sabbath was sin. If that was sin, the Father's to blame. That's what he's saying. And I love the next verse. Read the next verse. Look at verse 20. For the Father loves the Son. Oh, and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. I love that the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son. Oh, my gosh. How much does the Father love the Son? Oh, my goodness. Beautiful love that a father has for his child. Beautiful love that a father has for his son. It's nothing compared to what the love of a father has, the father has for the son of God. Interesting. Built on love and confidence. Built on love and confidence. The Father loves him enough to show him all things. This is the second time it's recorded in the Gospel of John because John recorded it in chapter 335. The same words. The Father loves the Son. And the Greek words here, the tense, means continual love. It means loved always. It means a love that's never broken up. It's a love that always happens. It's always coming forward. It's always there. The Father never ceases to love the Son. And as I was looking at this, and as I was trying to come up with what the Lord wanted to show me through this, I see this great passage in John 1, verse 12. It says, But as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So what's being told me here that is if we accept Christ as our Savior, then God is our Father, and we are his children. And oh, how the Father loves the Son. And oh, how the Father loves you. How the Father loves you as his children. He loves you and it never ceases coming towards you. His love is new every morning. His love constantly comes to you like the waves of the ocean. Constantly pouring out upon you. Constantly showering and coming over you. Constantly there for you to rely on. His love is perfect. Matthew Henry, I love him, said this, quote, The prophets were faithful servants, but Christ is the Son. The prophets are employed as servants, but Christ is the beloved Son. The Father was well pleased with the Son. He said it twice, at his baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Father loved the Son in the midst of his humiliation. The Father loved the Son in the midst of his suffering. He loved the Son and placed all things into his hand. What Father doesn't love a son in the midst of their hard times, in the midst of their trouble, in the midst of their time. Father loves a son. It's a built-in love. It's a love that only a father can have for a son. You are the book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start, so many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. 
Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.